Um, I doubt she'll ever listen again. It's a shame because I really wanted just to say that the thought of it just makes me smile. <laughs> The last episode, we talked about... We've ended on the EastEnders' duffs. Did you hear those? The duffs is what they call the... Uh, dum, 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 dum. Oh, yes, yes. Got it. Yeah. And you tease us with pelvic binders. Yeah. And I need closure. You need closure. Yes, you do. The thing about binders is that every time I give a talk about pelvic fractures... All anybody wants to talk about is binders. That all the questions that come out of the audience, every single one, is about binders. It's really weird how, Do how the, people get so stewed up yeah. about the one thing around which we have very little evidence. <laughs> is there any evidence for binders? But there is a bit. There is some evidence for binders. It's it's really muddy uh, because, of course, um, dirty. it's dirty because they. Um, it's all retrospective. All, all of the physiological stuff, at least, you know, like, is it good for patients? Does it save lives? All of that is retrospective. Yeah. And yes, if you've got a trauma patient and you put a binder on, the evidence, the retrospective evidence does show that it increases your blood pressure, your arterial blood pressure, significantly compared with if you don't put one on. So there is some physiological evidence in active trauma patients, but most of it has been done uh, in, in, you know, in vitro, mm. in, in cadaver labs, in, um, uh, and, and in models mm. uh, and, and on living patients with, with pressure transducers. So tell the folks at home, I mean most of them are sure know, but there may be some people who don't, where should it sit? Because that's the, the, the biggest cock up, is binders being put on in the wrong place. Agreed, agreed. And I, I think there are some things we know about binders and we're pretty confident we know them. And one of those things, of course, is um, that they, they, should sit over your, they should be centred upon your grace trochanter. Centred upon your grace trochanter. Now, yeah. <laughs> when you, um, when you lie, lie down flat, your distal radius sits. Is it your distal radius? It's right there. Look, go on, you stand up, stand up. Yeah. Where's your dest- Where's your, your, your GT? Because when, when a patient's lying in the road, yes. where, where exactly does it go on? Yeah. Or lying in the recess bay, where does it sit? Actually, it's centred about one, uh, approximately where your distal radius sits. Yeah. But basically, it, it, it should be centred upon that, that, that point. That is the, where it's got the best mechanical advantage, and that has been demonstrated in multiple studies. And, and, and when you put it on, how tight do you pull it? Because you can, like, you know... You can absolutely jack it. I, I if you see. put your foot on the patient yeah. and you and you get like a couple of people, you know, yeah. like you know that that um, nursery rhyme about the, about the giant turnip, where all these. No. That, there's no such nursery. No, rhyme. there is. There is. There. Basically, there's, 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 there's this giant turnip, and yeah. someone tries to pull it up, but it's a magic yeah. turnip. It gets stuck to the turnip. Right. So then someone comes trying to help them. They try and pull them, and they get stuck to them. And they, the next person comes to help, and they get stuck to them. I'm going to Google this. I don't think this nursery rhyme exists. <laughs> but you can do that with a binder. You can have six like people you, all pulling. I'm talking about the human centipede. But so listen, you know how you can put anything, look, I can see your belt's pretty tight there. Yeah, um, how tight do you go? How tight, how do, you tight go? do you go? And the answer is most of the, all of the proprietary um, uh, pelvic binders nowadays have a little click on them. Yeah. So you tighten, 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 and they go click. And when you got the click, that, then that, that is, that's the measured tightness for that binder. How did they work yeah, out? What's what, it, what's how it did they know? How do they know? Yeah, tell me this. What's the binder doing? Exactly. What, what is a binder doing? And I think there are... How do binders actually work? And I think we think, as a community, we think there are three things that a binder does. Number one, it holds the bones of your pelvis still. It holds things still. So you can clot. So you can clot. So when you roll around, move in and out of CT, get transferred on and off your spinal board, the pelvic bones don't move around much, and therefore you are any clot that has already been formed stays where it is, number one. Number two, 
they are well demonstrated to close down open fracture, uh, like, like, you know, open, open pelvis, open, open book type pelvis. So if you've got a splayed open SI joint, you've got an LC3, you've got a, a pelvic fracture which is displaced, it will reduce that displacement. That is well demonstrated and actually there, there are now, you know, reasonable, admittedly in vitro studies showing that a binder is actually more effective in reducing SI joints in an open pelvis than an X-fix is, amazingly. So some people, an get, but some people get excited about, well, it's a vertical shear, you know, do you really want to put a binder on that? Uh, yeah. What would you say to uh, So, so I'll, I'll come to that in just a sec, because that, that raises a really interesting point. But the third thing, so it's, so it's holding the bone still, closing down, um, uh, reducing, reducing uh, expo exposed pelvis, and, um, uh, and shutting down venous bleeding. This is, yeah. so, not arterial, which is the classic mistake. Okay, so in the lateral compression, what you're effectively doing is you're squeezing the, 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 the cancellous surface of the sacrum together. So um, that, that's, that, you know, that, that's, that's reducing down that cancellous bleeding. I, I, I'm going to stop there, actually. I think we need to be clear on where we think bleeding comes from when you've sustained a major pelvic fracture. Where does the bleeding actually come from? Because you could talk about what a binder does, but actually where the bleeding is coming from is, is kind of the primary question. Yeah. So where is the bleeding coming from? And it goes back to this guy, this uh, dude back in the 70s, and um, he was... Hoytinen. 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 Hoytinen is Deut. Hoytinen, 1973. Smoking a drug. Journal of Surgery. And he basically... Um, he basically, he picked up, it's a pretty, pretty macabre thing, he basically picked up a load of people who died of pelvic fractures, who died from, uh, you know, like the, the stent pelvic fracture, and then they died of sanguinating hemorrhage, and he opened up their pelvis, and he found out where, what, what they had died from, what vessel had, was, was bleeding yeah. out. And his conclusion was that the vast majority of um, people who died of exsanguinating pelvic bleeding died of venous bleeding. It's like around about the 85-90% mark were venous. And the rest is going to be things like, the rest is arterial. There's also, of course, bleeding from cancellous surfaces, bony surfaces. So those are your three sources of bleeding. Mm -hmm. Cancellous surfaces, arterial, venous. Venous being the big player. When you think about cancellous surface, okay, well, what cancellous surface? There's, there's the cancellous surface, so like an, an, an APC fracture, like an open book, tends to open up with the symphysis and the sacroiliac joint, right? There's no cancellous surface there. Um, if you, uh, so the, the ones that have an exposed cancellous surface are vertical shear fractures where you've gone up through the sacrum and now you do have a big area of cancellous bone exposed and that can bleed freely at close to, not at, at but close to arterial pressure. So are we saying we should put pelvic binder on any presumed pelvic fracture? Yes, we are. We're saying that it is safe. The literature, tell, the literature has, 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 been around, uh, has been reporting uh, complications of binders for a long time now. And all of the complications are around soft tissue injury, uh, uh, they tend to be skin or gluteal necrosis. It is not around because they've been left on too long. Yeah. The complications are not around visceral injury caused by a binder. Not even case reports of that. Because I know you're, you're a huge fan of them. And you're obviously leading on our pelvis here. And the fact is that here we don't x-fix at all. And the general surgeon, if they need to pack a pelvis, they'll 
the trauma surgeons, our dear colleagues, they will pack it against a binder. That's right. They pack it against the next That's thing. right. And the thing where the top of a binder sits, it sits about your suprapubic region. You can easily do a laparotomy and uh, super, uh, and, and pelvic packing above it without even desterilising. It makes it slightly easier. I mean, I, used to, I worked in a place where they would do pelvic X fixes. Um, regularly and the fact is you're then going to make it quite low at the front so it doesn't interfere so actually it may interfere less yeah yeah and i think it just simplifies things doesn't it yeah but i, th I think the killer take-home message about binders in terms of how they work is that in vitro and like cadaveric studies have shown so uh, pallister and parker did this study uh they published an injury 2017 they did a nice study they put like pressure pressure sensors inside cadaveric pelvises and then they made, made up an unstable pelvic fracture and they stuck a binder on and they looked at the increase in pressure mm. when you put a binder on an injured pelvis the pressure inside the if you pull it to the right the right t uh, uh, tension. Uh, tension the pressure goes up to around about 15 or 20 millimeters of mercury goes up to about 15 but somewhere between 15 and 25 millimeters depending on how you do it whether you augment it with bolsters on the side mm. whether you strap their thighs together as well there's, there's some variations but basically you increase the pressure to around 15 to 20 25 and so i'm assuming that's to get you above venous pressure so what well what is the what is central venous pressure what's your central venous pressure right now Central venous pressure in a normal healthy adult is about 10 to 10 to 12. In a trauma patient, it's below 10. It's in a shocked patient, it's about like four. Yeah. So what the pelvic binder is doing is it is turning off venous bleeding. Dramatic pause. A pelvic binder is shown to achieve pressures inside the pelvis that exceed central venous pressure and therefore is turning off the vast majority of pelvic bleeding and therefore that's why we think they work that's probably the primary reason we think they work number one they stabilize the clot number two they jam together cancellous surfaces which have been which are our active source of bleeding so it squeezes them together yeah. in the lateral compression situation or vertical shear and number three it causes increase in intrapelvic pressure that exceeds central venous pressure and therefore shuts that down so what you're left with the patients you're left with who are bleeding are either bleeding from somewhere else, their femur, their, their, their abdomen, their spleen, whatever it is, or they are bleeding from arteries. So you asked the question around, uh, around vertical shear, because if you imagine in your mind you've got a vertical shear injury, let's say someone's fallen out of a building or whatever, and one side of the hemipelvis is, is up is vertically sheared mm -hmm. and you make the point that if you just put a binder on that then you've got a bit of a mismatch haven't you it's yeah. like like you know you you're trying to fit a jigsaw puzzle back together again but the, the pieces aren't aligned and you're absolutely right um i usually so, am no i know i know you have a <laughs> propensity for being right uh what as uh, i was at, i was a lecture myself the other day uh, at a guy called uh, archdeacon um, he's a big US trauma surgeon, uh, very well known. That's his real name, Archdeacon. Archdeacon, that's his name. No, he's a good guy. He's a good wasn't guy. That, he's, he's, that... he's one of those broadest man, men I've ever met. He's really? so wide. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Archdeacon the baddie in like um, Airwolf or something? Wasn't that oh, guy no, with one eye? No, I, no, I didn't have a TV when I was a kid, you see, so I don't know. Are you serious? I didn't have a TV till I was 18, 18 years old. Yeah. My dad was a bit of a Victorian dad, and okay. he. Uh, uh, he was like, you know, a bit, a bit stern and a bit like, you know, old fashioned. He still is. He still doesn't watch TV really, unless it's the rugby. I'm finding out so much about you just doing this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's quite, and it's all making sense. So you were locked in a in a cellar. 
No, no, no. Uh, there was for no, like there was no, 24, we didn't 22 hours a day. Either we would have been, but we didn't have a cellar. Okay. We, were, we were forced to wear Victorian clothes. <laughs> and and Hessian shirts. And climb the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> you boy! <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I... No, 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 no TV till I was so 18. I interrupted. You're talking about Archdeacon. Archdeacon. I saw he was giving a, te- a lecture up in the Edinburgh Tra- Trauma Symposium. And he said in... Uh, so people come in with their binders on, maybe, but... If they've got a vertical shear, what you can do is you can loosen off the binder, apply traction to the leg, and then reapply your binder. So almost reducing the fracture and then reapplying the binder. And that was something that really resonated with me. And I think that's something that uh, that I, I, I would do uh, nowadays. Although I, I, I can fully see the sense in that. And that makes absolute sense. At the roadside, you put it on no matter what. In exactly. any, you put it on. The fact is, really, if you're, if you're doing a pelvic manipulation, as it were... That's something that is being done by pelvic surgeons in a major trauma centre, exactly. rather than your your average orthopedic surgeon in a trauma unit. Exactly right. So this is this is a, 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 a pelvic specialist going down to ED, interpreting the, the CT and say, "Look, it's vertically sheared on the left side. I'm going to pull on this leg. I'm going to loosen off that binary just a little yeah. bit. Pull down, reapply it. I don't, that may dislodge a clot, but what yeah. it will also do is it will reapproximate those cancellous surfaces more an, anatomically. Yeah. And okay. I think in the situation of someone who is still actively bleeding, that's a thing to do. Okay. In a patient where you're just doing it to make the X-ray look better, yeah. that doesn't make sense. That's it's, usually it's... the reason I intervene. Yeah, make, the X-ray. <laughs> make X-rays look better. Yeah. So just because you're a vertical shear doesn't mean you need to do that. Okay. But if, if you have a displaced pelvic fracture at the back and you are wanting and then they're still actively bleeding, you're thinking about the next thing to do. That would be a thing to do. Every day is a school day. <laughs> the other thing is that. The, we talk about binders hiding things and you can get groin perineal lacerations and I think sometimes people don't understand the implication of that and just what how significant that can be yeah and I, so you have quoted in the literature um, uh, pretty old literature I have to say uh, open pelvic fractures carry a 50% mortality and I'm not I'm not really sure where that number comes from um, I, I've, I've looked I've looked for that paper I, I, I'm not quite sure where we where that comes from because it, are these open all open pelvic fractures and otherwise ones that don't even make it to hospital in which case yeah okay maybe yeah. that's true but of the ones that come into hospital there are open pelvic fractures and there are open pelvic fractures I, that's a bit of a lame thing to say but there are ones where the wound associated with the open pelvic fracture isn't actually that bad and there are wounds that are absolutely devastating and the thing that really sits between those two the thing that defines those two is a rectal or a perirectal injury so if you've got a wound in your groin that is literally where the bones have burst out through the skin that's not actually very very different from uh, an open tibial fracture or an open femur fracture it's a it's a, the wound is, the, the bone has burst out yes it's, it's a horrible injury and yes there is a pelvic hematoma which may get secondarily infected by by skin organisms so it's, it's not a thing to take lightly, but at the same time, it requires the usual treatment that we give to other open fractures. As per the post guidelines. But the ones that I think you're, you're going to refer to are the ones where there's bowel injury. Exactly. So you, it may look like a rather banal uh, like perineal wound or like a, like a groin wound. It's like, it doesn't look like very much. But actually, there is a perirectal injury as well, where basically you've got shit in your... 
uh, intrapelvic uh, uh, you know, intra space. Literally. Where, literally. Yeah. So you've now, you've, you've opened, the rectum's opened, you've got, a, albeit a small amount, you've got feces in around all that pelvic hematoma. That is basically death. That is death waiting to happen. It doesn't happen straight away though. It happens at day five. So if you don't discover that opening, that, that rectal injury, until day five when the patient starts getting sick, you've lost it. It's gone. The patient then dies. You cannot bring it back. You can do any amount of surgery, but they get so hideously septic that you've missed the boat. And these are young, fit people. Exactly. And so that's why it's so vitally paramount that when the binder comes off, you have a full check, a full secondary survey. And in particular, you're consciously looking for these things. Exactly. You're very much in like secondary or tertiary survey mode when you type, take that binder off. Very easy to take them off and go, okay, all right. And then you move on with the water round. You've got to like open up the legs, lift up the bull bag, you know, have a really fucking good rummage around the perineum. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and really feel like you, you've said, I have now, you can stand there with your hands in the air and go, I have excluded a, a perirectal injury. Or you say, actually, you know what? I think I think we ought to get the general surgeons to see the patient and and do a, a, a some kind of sigmoidoscopy. And these injuries can be a, a, f- a one centimeter cut nick in the skin, and you think, well, what's the big deal? That's right. But the fact is that this could be a killer. Exactly, it could Hi- be a killer. Hidden killer. Exactly. So, and to be fair, often perirectal injuries do show up on the CT scan. So sometimes the radiologist will pick up that there's some kind of bowel injury, and, and that's fair enough but not always. Yeah. And the only thing that really, you know, you've, you've basically got to get the patient up in, into theatre, into a lithotomy position and have a proper look and, and, and put, a, put a scope up and, and uh, you know, get your general surgeons to, to do that. And those are the ones where uh, a defunction becomes, becomes a thing you've absolutely got to do. No, that's fine. I, for a second, I thought you were asking me to arthroscope a rectum. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new one on me. I'm not sure what the code on, is for cash. that. Come on, man up. I'm not sure what the code is for yeah. that. But Just, the one thing I would say, so our general surgical colleagues are, are, are skilled. They do great work. What should we say to them? Because they may not be familiar with this. There may be general surgeons have gone 10 years of training and have never seen an open pelvic fracture. <clears throat> yeah, exactly, right? exactly. So what do we say to them? What are we asking of them? We are asking of them to have an index of suspicion that there may be a rectal injury. And you're looking at them and saying, I want you to exclude a rectal injury. I know you've seen the CT and you're happy that it doesn't look like one, but I want you to exclude it. Uh, and in the, in the presence of open wounds around the perineum and the perianal region, they absolutely need to do that. So we're talking patients up in the stirrups, legs, legs akimbo. That's it. And rigid sigmoidoscopy. Uh, rigid, rigid usually does it because the injury is usually quite low down. So yes, it, it's in that tethered part of the rectum. So the sigmoid is quite floppy, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like blah, 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 blah. so it's it's less likely to get damaged because it kind of moves out of the way. But the, the the rectum rectum where it like you know where you know we need a dump and you suddenly <laughs> you feel it coming on. That's when it all empties out into that that yeah. hopper, if you like. Yeah, no, I'm feeling that's, that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bit that is tethered down, stuck onto your coccyx. Yeah. That is the bit that is, is vulnerable to injury. So I am... Um, so rigid will get there is the answer. So as an SHO, I used to do lots of rigid sigmoidoscopies in clinic. Right, there you go. Uh, I work for David Selly. Right. Um, you know David Selly, yeah. the story. Uh, the sad thing, just a quick aside, quite honestly, one of the most meticulous and caring and skilled clinicians I've ever met in any specialty. Uh, he was a gentleman. I remember once telling a patient, I remember him finding an uh, incarcerated frontal hernia that had been missed by everyone. Right. Took the patient there to save them. I remember a time he told a patient they were dying of cancer, first time diagnosis, 
the patient like burst into tears, thanked him, hugged him, and was like, I'm so grateful, thank you, thank you. And was like, wow, this guy, just immense. And what he went through was just horrible. Um, but I used to do rigid, rigid sigmoidoscopies in clinic and he taught me how to do them. And you do this thing where you've got the patient on the left lateral position, you put this massive tube up there, you inflate the air. Yeah, the, <laughs> air, the air thing, which is terrifying, yeah. because it's like, yeah. poof, poof. And then, the, and then the thing I learned after a while is, you do that, and you're looking down the tube, and then, and then you <laughs> jump out of the way, because that air's coming back at you. Yeah. With, 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 you know, with, with interest. So it's like, poof. <laughs> and you're kind of like ducking. As if you're kind of uh, trains going past you at high speed. Yeah. It was um, so they do that, and then and then you ask, and then if they find a, uh, an injury, they're going to do a laparotomy. They're going to do a defunctioning colostomy. If there's a rectal injury, yes. Yeah. If it's just an, a skin injury, actually, yeah. what you can do is just just wash it out and close it up. Mm. So so primary closure of open pelvic fractures is okay. You can do that. So they can be actually not massively serious any more than an open femur fracture is is is, is serious uh, it's just that you've got to exclude that deeper injury because if you don't uh, that is death waiting to happen and they're, they're really rare but when they happen and they catch you out you cannot uh, catch back up again and uh, on that positive note <laughs> the downside of binders as far as I'm aware is obviously you get necrosis of skin yep. and soft tissue injuries. Yep. Fact is you might, they can mask stuff, so you can miss things like an open fracture, yep. uh, a rectal injury, something like that, so you can yep. miss those if you yep. For me, that's the big one. So yeah. everyone's aware now, uh, people are very aware of not leaving binders on too long. Yeah. Um, so if you leave them on too long, particularly if they're fully jacked, um, so that, that's the other uh, evidence we have out there is that if you pull a, a pelvic binder to tension, what ends up happening is you exceed the pressure that the skin can survive underneath, yeah. particularly over bony prominences like your GT and your, yeah. your, your iliac crest, so or it's not uh, over, over your GT. So if you leave a binder on at proper tension, you will necrose the skin eventually. Skin's pretty robust stuff, but not forever. So the, 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 the British guidelines, the BOST guidelines are for them to be taken off within 24 hours, and that's I, I, I totally agree with that. That's the most common question that gets asked in medicine about binders. Yeah. But how long do you leave all specialties? How long do you leave them on for? And do you, if a patient's been unstable, you come in at 24 hours, are you taking that binder off no matter what? Okay. So, do an ITU, HDU. Right. So let's start in ED. You're in ED and the patient comes in with a horrible pelvic fracture, uh, but they are hemodynamically stable. You can look to be taking that binder off in the emergency department, and I would encourage people to do that because they were never unstable in the first place. But could it not be that they've clotted and the, the binders held right, them stable? Right. So once once you've demonstrated that their clotting has been restored, so you've got a rotem and it's normal, or you've got an INR and it's normal, then it's reasonable to take that binder off in the emergency department. Patients initially unstable and then they stabilise. That binder can come off once you again have demonstrated that their clotting has returned to normal. Because they, they, they've clotted off and um, uh, they've been stable for a few hours, uh, you can now take that binder off. In practice, what that comes out as uh, is that you're seeing them the following morning. They came here like five o'clock in the evening, yeah. you see them the following morning, they've still got their binder on, they've been stable now for six hours or so, and then you take the binder off on the post-take wardrobe. That's where I, I tend to find myself uh, when, when doing rounds of that, that sort. There's the third one, which is really unusual. This is the patient who was absolutely in extremis. They've had multiple surgeries, they are shocked as hell, they came in a terrible state, and they were lucky to survive, and you've 
you've basically managed to save their life, but they are still really, really sketchy and a little bit uh, 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 hypotensive, and they're on, uh, you know, the, the, the IT guys are really worried about them. Yeah. In that situation, you don't lose anything by, by leaving the binder on, but you can just, you know, just tuck your fingers around the side and make sure that the pressure's okay, and maybe loosen it off a little bit, so it's still having some stabilizing effect, but, not but, but it's not the crazy in the skin. Three downsides to binders. Pressure on the skin, cover stuff up, and you can hide APC injuries. Yeah, hiding APC injuries. The the answer to that is you've got a um, X-ray out of you've got an X-ray out of binder. So if you've got a major trauma patient, you may have sustained a pelvic injury. Yeah. You get you get you get an, you get a, a CT scan, an X-ray, which look absolutely fine. You still do an X-ray out of binder because their the pelvis can just flop open. So just to clarify, what I mean um, when I say masking APC injuries is an open book that's been closed with a binder. And then you take it off. That's what I mean. An open yeah. book, you can miss that. You can miss it. You really can miss it. That's, that's genuinely a thing. And going back to your thing about masking, uh, masking uh, like covering stuff up, we're out of sight, out of mind creatures. So when you don't see something, you don't believe it exists. Yeah. But you can have horrible groin lacerations. You can have perineal injuries. You can have rectal tears. Hiding under a binder. But because the binder's on, everyone's like, oh, well, the pelvis is sorted. We don't have to worry about that. So... Whenever you're taking off a binder, my final point, take home message would be, whenever you're taking a binder off, you're in secondary survey mode. You're in, I'm taking this binder off, I'm gonna lift up this guy's ball bag, I'm gonna have a look underneath, I'm gonna look at his perineum, I'm gonna make sure I'm happy there's not something else going on here. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pete. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Strokes to move.